Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning and a blessed Advent to you. Second Sunday of Advent. Uh, In reference to uh, last week's sermon where I was kidding about uh, assaulting people for celebrating Christmas too early, I I saw a great meme on the internet. There are some redeeming factors to the internet every now and then. It was a picture of uh, John the Baptist, and it said, Happy Advent, you brood of vipers, which I thought was really, really funny. And apparently you do too. Thanks for laughing, even if feigned. I appreciate that. So we are in the midst of this, this season, and last week I, I tried to give shape to the season. What, what sort of season is it? What are we doing? Well, it's a season of repentance and preparation in anticipation of the coming of the arrival of the Advent. Remember, that's what the word Advent means, coming or arrival. The Advent of King Jesus. And we are preparing for his arrival in three senses, at least three senses, or I'm only going to talk about three senses. There are probably other senses in which we're preparing, but here they are. Uh, We're preparing for his coming liturgically, sacramentally, and eschatologically. And you don't need to go to your thesaurus app. I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. Liturgically, we are preparing for the celebration of his first advent, his birth on December, we're celebrating on December 25th. We're preparing to glory in the mystery of the incarnation that for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, as the creed says. Sacramentally, and this preparation happens Every week we we gather at the Lord's table. Sacramentally, we're being further prepared to behold the Lamb of God in the Holy Eucharist. We are in this season, and hopefully thereafter, growing in our understanding of how awesome and serious a thing it is to be in the presence of Almighty God. Serious business to what we're doing. Uh, an example, uh, the prayer of humble access, you can find it in your bulletin, it's the, uh, your service booklet rather, it's the prayer that we pray after the Lord's Prayer, after the fraction, right before we receive. And that's an Advent moment, it's a moment of, of final preparation that, that we understand that God, it's only by your mercy and by your grace, it's only by what you've accomplished in and through your son, Jesus Christ, that, that we can approach your throne with confidence. It's, it's a preparation to in, encounter almighty God in the most holy sacrament of his body and blood. So we're preparing liturgically, we're preparing sacramentally, we're also preparing uh, eschatologically, we're preparing for, for Christ's arrival at the end of the age, for his second coming. The, the term eschatology, it, it just simply means the study of last things, uh, namely death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And when we're talking about eschatology, we're not just talking about the future, we're really talking about something, it, it touches inevitably something called 
uh, teleology, that is, tell us what's our purpose, what's our end, what is the goal towards which uh, human beings are moving or should be moving, what's the goal towards which history is moving, and we're looking, right? We say that every week in the Nicene Creed. We're going to say it today, that, that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come on. Amen. So we're preparing for that uh, reality. And those tasked with making us ready, with preparing us, are the prophets in general and St. John the Baptist uh, in particular, and though it might be hard, if, if you spend any time reading the prophets uh, or listening to one of John's sermon, John the Baptist's sermons out in the wilderness, it might be hard for us to hear what they have to say. It might make us uncomfortable, but, but we need to hear it. Christ died for us in, in order to do something really neat. No, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. If we're going to recognize in our lives Christ as Savior, it, it begins with this recognition that we need saving. Otherwise, what is he saving us from? So we need the prophets. And contrary, maybe uh, to popular belief, uh, even to, to things I've felt in my own life at times, the, the prophets are engaging in a labor of love. They are. It's because God loves us that he sends prophets to us. He sends prophets to his people to preach judgment in order that they might avoid it. The prophetic witness is a mercy. Just put simply, it, it's an act of mercy and grace to be told the truth. I mean, the prophets are like those warning a driver who's headed the wrong way on a one-way street about to drive off a cliff. The prophets are the, they're not trying to be buzzkills. You know, the person in the car could be having a very good time listening to their favorite podcast. You know, they could be very comfortable, you know, 68 degrees, whatever you keep your car at. Uh, they, they can have their favorite latte in the cup holder next to them, but they're going the wrong way. And the, the prophet disturbs things for them and says, hey, stop, repent. That is do a 180, turn around because you're headed towards a collision. You're headed towards death and destruction. So, so the prophets, so scripture at times, and ultimately this is the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to us. Um, if you've been going through, I'll be plugging our, our Advent study guide uh, throughout Advent. If you're going through, and you've been going through Peter, what does Peter say? He says that no prophecy of scripture has its will in the origin of man. I mean, the prophets aren't just making this stuff stuff up, or it wasn't what they chose at career day. I mean, if you know anything about the life of a prophet, there are much more uh, enjoyable things to do with your life. Many of them live, from a worldly perspective, a very miserable existence. They, they weren't popular. They weren't, uh, if you've seen Wreck-It Ralph, they weren't getting invited to the, the uh, parties. You know, they were, they were out by themselves. People would turn the other way when they were coming. Uh, but they're, they're, but with Advent, he says, no prophecy, I'm back to Peter, 
no prophecy of Scripture has its will in the origin of men, uh, in the origin of man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God, in His love, sends us the prophets, inspired the Holy Scriptures, and, and tells us the things that we don't always want to hear, but that we need to hear, hear in order that we might avoid death and gain life in Jesus Christ. He tells us these things, so as the Colic says, why? The, com- the commandments of God are unto life. What, what did we just pray? That we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Not so that, you know, life will be miserable. So that the, the goal is joy. But there is no joy in sin and in death. Thus, repentance Repentance is the prerequisite for joy. Repentance is the prerequisite for joy. St. John the Baptist is, is preparing us to greet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords by again calling us to repentance. And who is John the Baptist? You know, the Gospels... Uh, begin with this focus on the the forerunner. Who is he? Well, John the Baptist, as we heard in the gospel reading, is the one of whom Isaiah prophesied. He's the one who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the one that would prepare the way. Because again, we have to prepare to encounter the living God. We don't waltz, we don't strut, we don't kind of just accidentally, oh, hey, God, what's up? And we're in his presence and everything's... No, we're encountering the living God. We're encountering the one uh, by whom and for whom everything exists. And so, so he's preparing the people of God. And he is... Uh, to bring in some typology, he is the new Elijah. Remember the great prophet Elijah from the Old Testament? And, and the prophet Malachi, he foretold that Elijah would return just prior to the coming of the Messiah, just prior to the day of the Lord. And so John the Baptist comes in the, in the spirit of Elijah, and he becomes this sign that the coming of the Messiah is near. He's a sign. He's like, the, you know, he's that last ditch effort. It's like the kingdom of God is coming. That's what he says. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the sign that the coming, the arrival of the Lord is near. But he's also through his message, he, he becomes this means by which we are made ready for the Lord's arrival. John was born, if you remember the story of John the Baptist's birth, he was born to elderly parents. Uh, he was born to a priest named Zechariah, or Zecharias, and uh, his wife, whose name was Elizabeth. And, and one day, if you know the story, while Zechariah is ministering in the temple, uh, he sees an angel, and not just any angel, he sees the angel Gabriel. And Zechariah, rightly so, he freaks out, you know. He freaks out. If we see an angel, it would probably freak out. That would be good, a good sort of freak out. And then Gabriel tells this old man, you're going to have a son, a very important son who's going to do great things, who's going to turn many people to the Lord, who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Well, Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. You know, he's like, 
we're too old for kids. So as the story goes, Gabriel's like, since, since you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to talk to this kid shows up. <laughs> so he's, he's muted by the, by the angel Gabriel. Now, why does the gospel of Luke begin with this story? Is it just, okay, every good book and every good movie has to have a really powerful opening act? Is it, is it just sort of an arbitrary miracle? What does this story remind you of? If you remember in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Sarah, that they're very old, and, and God's made Abraham this promise that through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Ultimately, that the salvation of the world is going to come through one of your descendants. They're old, and God comes to them and says uh, that you're going to have a baby. And if you remember, Sarah laughs. But they do have a baby, a baby named Isaac. So John the Baptist, the way that his life works is that his his birth, in particular, is, is meant to hearken the people of God back to the promises of God. Meant, meant to take their mind back to Abraham. The, the, the promise, again, that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this is a very dramatic way of saying to us that the promises that God has made to his people, he didn't forget. They haven't fallen flat. And that actually, that very promise that was made so long ago is about to become fulfilled. It's coming to fruition. They understand this immediately. Uh, After John is born and Zechariah can speak again, he prophesies what what we now call the Song of Zechariah, which again, shameless plug, if you've been doing the Advent prayers after the scripture reading, we've been praying this canticle, which is a song of response and praise the Lord. We've been praying the Song of Zechariah, which is appropriate Advent uh, thing to pray. He prays this. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a mighty salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. I'll stop there and then come back to it. He's spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. How is that possible? All the way back in the Garden of Eden, right after the fall of man, there's, a, there's the promise of the Messiah. It's called, this will score you some, you'll seem very erudite at your Christmas cocktail parties. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. Proto meaning first, Evangelium meaning gospel. This is the first gospel that's spoken. Genesis 3.15, speaking of Jesus, that he shall bruise your head. He's speaking to the serpent. And you shall bruise his heel. The Messiah will will bruise the head of the serpent. That Christ will triumph over Satan. That that he will crush him underfoot by his cross. You see, man was defeated, what? By eating of a tree. And evil was defeated by the God-man hanging victorious on the tree, which is the cross, Calvary. Continuing. What's the hope? 
Zechariah continues that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our forefathers and to remember his holy covenant. Here it is. To perform the oath which he swore to our forefather Abraham that he would give us. So stopping again. The birth of John is the sign, is the fulfillment of God's, uh, the sign that the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham is near. He continues that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people for the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace. Which if you look over at the Advent candle, the second candle, which for the second week, typically symbolizes peace. Because the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us to God so that we can have peace with him through his Son, Jesus Christ. I made the comment last week that that we could really understand the season of Advent as hearing the call of John the Baptist afresh to put ourselves, and we are in this position as the church, but to put ourselves consciously in the position of those people that went out to hear him in the wilderness that he's not addressing some people 2,000 years ago and talking about something that's irrelevant to us here and now in 2019, almost 2020. That we should heed his voice and that we should follow his example of and heed his call to repentance so that we're ready for his arrival, his, his arrival liturgically, sacramentally, eschatologically. And we need to be, as the people of Israel were and as the church is, we need to be looking and longing and preparing for the return of Christ. And if the Lord tarries, for our own deaths. But the second coming, I think, has fallen out, fallen off the radar in Christendom. And maybe, maybe some of the reason is, is Christians, admittedly, have done a whole lot of kooky stuff with the second coming. You know, billboards predicting this, this day is going to be the, the second coming of Jesus, which is kind of funny because if you read the Bible, he explicitly says that no one knows the, the day or the hour. But this is our hope. Put it in the form of a question. What is my hope in? Like, what anchors my life? What anchors your life? What is your hope in? Is it in this present age, which is passing away, or is it in the age to come? What is unseen, what is, what is seen as temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And the question can be answered in part, I think, if we just stop and think about, okay, what do, what do we spend our time doing? Like, like what do we give our time... Because time, I would argue, is, is our greatest resource. 
and it's our most valuable treasure. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So where are we spending our, what, what do we think about and what do we, we meditate upon? And one of the keys to ensuring or working on this, we're all works in progress, to, to ensuring that our hope is in Christ and in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come is being saturated with the scriptures, living in the world of the scriptures. So when I'm challenging myself, and you have to understand, please understand this. I hope you know, all of my sermons are, are primarily a challenge to Matt Ainsley. Not that I've accomplished all this and I'm looking back down the mountain from my lofty position to the lowly parishioners. That, that's not anywhere near my mindset at all. Saturated in the scriptures. That, that's why I'm challenging myself and challenging this church. Let's spend time every day in the word of God. Well, why? Well, let's go back to the script. The scriptures tell us stuff about the scriptures. Romans 15, 4, which we just heard. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what Paul's saying, that through the encouragement of the scriptures, that anchors us in hope. Where is it that we find the hope of Christ proclaimed? Where is it that we find the warnings of the prophets? Where is it that we find uh, the call to repent and, and prepare? Probably the only place that we find it in our everyday life is in the scriptures. That's why as as, again, this Advent discipline, we're trying to dive into the scriptures and we're, we're being reminded daily and, and, and weekly what time it is. We're being reminded of who is king. We're being reminded of what's ultimate. We're being reminded of, of what's right and wrong. We are setting our minds on things above. We are learning to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, as sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. So as we prayed, may God give us the grace to heed the prophets, to heed the prophet of the Most High, which is John the Baptist, knowing that the call to repentance, though at times a pill hard to swallow, is a remedy that leads to life and health in Jesus Christ. To him be all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen.